0: Hello, and welcome back to APIs You Won't Hate. My name is Mike Bifolko, one of your APIs You Won't Hate co-hosts, co-founders, whatever you want to call me. Um, today, I'm sitting down to chat with my uh, good friend, Danny Sheridan from Fern. Uh, Danny's been on the show before, about six months ago. We talked uh, in March of 2023, shortly after, I believe, Danny, you just finished going through Y Combinator's winter batch for this year. Uh, and it's great to have you back. I'm really excited to, to hear what's happened since then and what's going on with you. How are you doing today?
1: I am ecstatic today. I think that as we talked last, like you said, six months ago, my team was just coming out of the Y Combinator program. We were able to use that acceleration that they provide to go raise a seed round of fundraising. And at this point, we've been growing the business by increasing the number of customers that we work with, which we can talk about today, as well as expanding the functionality that Fern provides for companies that have public REST APIs.
0: Love that. Yeah. I'm I'm super interested to get into it. As you know, I'm, you know we're we're big API fans around here, so nerding out on this stuff is definitely in the wheelhouse. Before we do that, let's take a step back and why don't you tell me, uh, the audience listeners, about Fern uh, from a 101 level. What is Fern? What is it for and who would be interested in it?
1: Yeah, I think the best way to start there is to talk about the inspiration from Fern, which is that I was at AWS as a product manager before co-founding Fern. And my co-founder, whose name is Deep, was at Palantir Technologies as an engineer. And one of the things that both of us got to experience was that Palantir and AWS both design APIs starting with the API specification or the API contract. They don't start by writing backend server code. They don't start by writing API documentation. Instead, they start in a, a JSON or a YAML file describing the endpoints, the data models, and the errors that can be thrown by those endpoints. And so that was a big inspiration. I wanna give, we stand on the shoulders of giants here at FERC. And specifically, we do that with Amazon's Smithy, which is an open source project they created, and Palantir's Conjure. And Mike will include those in the show notes for folks that wanna check them out. Both, both of them are, are in-house built tools at AWS and Palantir that really showed us the power of going API first. They allow a front-end and back-end engineer, maybe even a product manager, to, to collaborate on designing the API. And then once the API contract is established, you run it through code generation technology. And those code generators produce a couple of different artifacts. They can produce server boilerplate code. And that looks like maybe you're using the Java spring framework or the TypeScript express, or even Python's fast API. And you want to take my API contract and make sure that I create all those routes and I'm implementing them. The second thing that those tools created were client libraries. So these are the SDKs. It's nice to have a typed client that you get autocomplete in your IDE of whichever you're using. Typically we see VS code as the most popular. But when I like hit, when I'm using the SDK, it will show me all of the resources that are available and the operation that I can perform on those resources. And so that might be like payment.create. And that's a really nice developer experience because they don't have to leave their IDE while they're coding to go check what the documentation says. It's part of the SDK and they've kind of got docs on Huber where they can, see details about each of those resources or operations, uh, how they behave. And sure. the third thing, Mike, is in addition to some server code and SDKs, is that these tools, these Conjure and Smithy tools from the companies that I mentioned, produced a version of API documentation. In AWS's case, it was literally the AWS API docs. I don't think it'll be a surprise to folks. And Mike, tell me if I'm wrong that AWS does not handwrite all of their API documentation and their API reference. <laughs> yeah, I think if you've
0: browsed it once or twice, it's probably apparent either someone from a different universe made some of them or they're they're not necessarily human-generated.
1: Uh, it was really inspiring to me, though, to see an example where a human is not responsible for updating the docs anytime that the API changes. Because at Amazon, we had a concept of good intentions, which yeah. is that Good intentions, Mike, are when someone says, "Anytime we change the API, we will remember to update the docs. Good sure. intentions fail because people <laughs> are busy. That's why are intentions. Exactly. And instead what we should be doing is having tooling that supports us in accomplishing our goals. And so Fern is a way where companies with public rest APIs use Fern to offer SDKs in popular programming languages and. API documentation that documents those REST APIs.
0: I think our listeners will identify with this quite a bit. I think we're at an interesting like point in history, this sort of inflection point where maybe even between now and the last time you and I chatted, I think something has happened sort of in like the, the general public mindset that people suddenly trust machines to do more intelligent things. And by that I mean like the the zeitgeist of AI tools, AI wrappers for everything has made people a lot more lenient to let the uh, the, the software write things, for, create things for them, do creative work, do work that was prior manual tasks. And I think Fern is happening at a really interesting time in that inflection where suddenly it's like, oh, actually, maybe I can run my my uh, open API spec through something and it can generate client libraries and also maybe generate meaningful documentation. Where I think if you had asked me that two years ago, I would have been like, not a chance. I'm going to hire an army of technical writers and they're going to do a great job for me on this. I'm curious to hear your sort of feelings on that and, and also your feelings on like the the world of working with people who are generating code as opposed to writing code manually too.
1: Mike, let's talk about the biggest objections that I hear when I talk to customers or prospects specifically about Fern. one of the objections that is common is I don't trust a machine to generate my SDK.
0: Hmm.
1: My developer experience is important to my business. It increases our revenue if we can acquire new customers. And I don't want to trust that to something that every time I run the code generator could have a different output, right? And what I tell people is Fern does not use LLMs to generate code. Hey, we have bitten, we have built a rule based system. And if we're getting more specific, we built a compiler that takes in an open API spec and generates. TypeScript or Python or Java, etc. Files. Yeah, and so one of the important things to folks right now is determinism. If I run the Fern generator more than one time, will I get the same SDK output? If if the SDK would change every time because of indeterminism, that that would be a, a major blocker to adoption. And so right now, the most popular ways to generate SDKs are all rule based. There is no LLM SDK generation tooling that has become popular. Not to say it can't happen one day, but I think folks want determinism. And then they also want to see why, like, why did the code generator output a specific line of code and they really like being able to poke into the open source source code. And so Fern is open source because our customers are developers and they like to see how the magic happens.
0: Yeah. That's an important point too. And I'll make sure we have notes on a link to Fern's uh, GitHub in our show notes so our, our listeners can go and kind of browse that and you know also contribute if, if they're so inclined. Yeah, I think I think that's a, a valuable point to make that like deterministic LMs are not a thing in in the current state of the art. They may one day be. I don't know if that's even possible based on you know what an LLM technically is. But you want your generated libraries to be predictable and the same, and by that nature, also testable. Uh, And I feel like that's something that probably comes out of people using Fern is you can generate a library. And if you can generate it the same every time, you can test it and be certain that what you're getting is something that at least passes the tests that that you provided.
1: And Mike, I'm thinking about one of our customers. The company is called Cohere. They're an AI platform for enterprises that is growing in popularity. They are LLM experts and they have chosen Fern and do not want to use <laughs> LLMs to produce their SDKs because their main source of revenue is their API. Yeah. And sure. a, a problem in their SDK would literally impact their ability to generate income. Yeah. And so they, they, they were almost willing to put an engineer against it when they saw that they could, instead of having to build SDKs by hand, they could buy an SDK generation tool. They opted sure. to buy, not build. And I think That's you're a, right. A you mentioned point. things are changing around the API developer experience market. Should we call it that? Yeah. The developer sure. experience, um, things around SDKs, API documentation. We are seeing a shift where, in the past, companies would have said, and we've been working on Fern for 18 months now. 18 months ago, my folks would have said, We The only option to provide great SDKs is to put an engineer against it.
0: Yeah, definitely. definitely.
1: We have to do this by hand. This is a a ticket in our engineering queue. And I think that there's been a shift in the last 18 months where more engineering leaders, this typically is happening at the CTO or an engineering manager, platform engineer, who says there are now tools like Fern where I can pass in an open API specification and I can get out High quality idiomatic SDKs that I'm comfortable putting in front of my customers.
0: Sure. Yeah, I think also worth pointing out that even the discussion you and I had six months ago has changed pretty dramatically. In as much as uh, back then, at least I don't think we talked too much about documentation either. Uh, but I feel like that's maybe part of like the the holistic picture of uh, providing great developer experience to people consuming your client libraries, whether they're internal or external to your company. Getting both a functioning client library and then the documentation to build it is the story that's, that's the story. You need to have both of those things for your thing to be valuable. And, and I think there's probably like, I don't know, I would imagine you've probably seen uh, patterns in your customers that they're probably all looking for like a platonic ideal that they want to have, you know, great developer experience and great documentation to go with it. Well, what does that like um, uh, life cycle look like for maybe finding, acquiring and, and delivering uh, solutions to your customers?
1: Yeah. Like you said, yeah. kind of who is the gold standard? Who is the ideal right now yeah. for developer experience? And I think that over the last at least three years, the answer has not changed. The company with the best developer experience in the world is Stripe.
0: Yeah, sure, sure. I I think think
1: that folks would find that agreeable, but might disagree on the why. Mike, Ah, you have to reason through it together?
0: Yeah, let's do it. And before we get into that, this is probably where I should mention I'm a former Stripe employee, no bad blood between me and Stripe or me and Danny, as far as I know, at least. Uh, but, you know, a, a reasonable call out here too. Yeah, let's reason through it. Walk
1: me through it. Let's talk about this as if we are making a a recipe. And the outcome is the Stripe developer experience. I think the question, Mike, is what are the inputs?
0: Cool. Yeah.
1: And I usually like to speak at threes, but in this case, I've got five things on my mind that make the Stripe developer experience exceptional. Yeah, hit me. The first is consistent design. Whichever endpoints you're using within Stripe's vast API, you can expect similar behavior and patterns. So yeah, like you learn it once and you learned it across the whole API and any endpoint you use. Yeah. That's hard to do, especially yeah, yeah. as a company grows over. I mean, Mike, they're well over a decade old, right? Sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Pa- patterns
0: are huge. And, you know, much like you'd imagine uh, in some places, there are teams of developers maintaining client libraries. And at AWS, there are teams of people starting with that API spec. Uh, The discussion on consistency is massive. That's right. Making sure that things make sense from one to the other so that end users can learn one pattern and apply it everywhere is super, super valuable.
1: The second is documentation. Developers expect that they it's easy to find what they're looking for and that the information is up to date. It's very frustrating when you go and check out what the JSON looks like for an API response. And it's wrong because some developer changed it and forgot to update the docs. And so Stripe has done a phenomenal job of automating their documentation and they have a whole team responsible for it.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. If you are reasonably good at Googling, you can find a talk I did on Stripe's internal documentation tools on YouTube somewhere.
1: The third thing are SDKs in popular languages. Whether you are a Java, a Python, or a Ruby developer, you get a client library that's got autocomplete immediately, and you get that when you're starting your project. SDKs tend to make integrations happen in 50% less time, and Stripe understands that by my last count, they supported seven different languages or frameworks that they provide SDKs for.
0: Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. And to, to that point, too, idiomatic SDKs are important, right? Like it feels like Python, it feels like a Ruby when you're writing in that language, and that's that's a hard thing to uh, to accomplish, just as well.
1: All right, the fourth thing of five, helpful errors. When you run into an error in the Stripe API, the message that's output to the developer, it's actually helpful. It typically links you to a place in their documentation. So it's like documentation aware. It'll give you a URL where you can go to read more. And it might even recommend a fix as part of the error message. And that's just, um, Mike, it might be craft. That's the word on my mind. Yeah,
0: sure. Sure. I think so. And, and that was a revelation too, right? Like this was not a common thing uh, in a world before Stripe's uh, developer SDKs existed. Like oftentimes as a API consumer, you're job was to set debuggers, run console logs and pull your hair out until you figured out what, what comma was missing or what type you had incorrect or, you know, what you had done wrong. Uh, and at best you maybe got a 500 back, something like that. Yeah.
1: And the fifth thing, Mike, that's on my mind is around versioning. Um, when you start, when you open your Stripe account, you're pinned to a version of the API and from that day on you are. They expect that you'll be using that API version and you have to choose to take an upgrade. And so Stripe does a phenomenal job of having backwards compatibility. They've actually built tooling that they call gating that we can talk more about in another episode. If you'd like to in the future. Sure. Um, but they've to date, they've never broken their API. And I think that's a really expensive decision because it, you learn a lot after 10 plus years of doing business. And I'm sure there are moments that they would have loved to break the API. But to date, they have not.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, th- those. So let me let me see if I can kind of sum that up. Then so versioning, uh, error messaging, client libraries, docs, and so uh, the fifth one is escaping me. A uh, design right, consistency are, are definitely adding up for that. The magic. That's that's the experience I want my engineering team to have. That's also the experience I want from every client library I consume from a third party service as well.
1: Yeah, but Mike, how many employees does Stripe have? <laughs> <laughs> Engineers, we have four right now. Sorry, it's Stripe.
0: Oh, it's Stripe. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stripe. Gosh, rounding out a few thousand easily. I think probably close to five or six thousand.
1: Yeah. So let's compare craftwork yeah. to Stripe's yeah. engineering ability. Maybe I'll call it four to a thousand, something yeah. like that ratio. It's really, it's not feasible, yeah, for companies to hire engineers to go build this developer experience infrastructure yeah. for their company, and so that is why the market is turning to buy a solution that's available for you and fern is filling that place in the market and so the the idea of fern is that we will bring a stripe-like developer experience to your api we will do that over that's that's the vision that we are working toward and today we will deliver two things for our customers sdks in multiple languages that are idiomatic and we take care of publishing them to NPM and Maven Central and Pypey. So we take care of getting them to the package managers, publishing the source code to GitHub. And the second product that we offer is API documentation. Everyone wants the Stripe-like docs website that fits your, it matches your brand. You've got the infinite scrolling page. You can see the SDKs documented in the API reference. That's a really nice feature, Mike. And Stripe does in a way where it's auto populated So human does not have to go and update the code snippets in all seven SDK languages for every endpoint whenever the API changes. They have automation for that. And that's something that Fern has now rolled out for our customers is you can get what we call code snippets for every endpoint showing how to use your SDK in any of the languages that you generated for an SDK for. Yeah, and that's
0: that's incredible. That's that's quite an offering and, and a bold statement to make. Uh, and I think what I want to know from you is like, what, what are your consumers
1: need to provide? How do they, how do they get that? What's they the provide, they provide an open API spec. Hmm. We generate SDKs and we generate the API docs. Additionally, if they want to, they can provide markdown files, which will be the pages in their documentation. If they'd like to do things like how to get started, how to authenticate with our API. Maybe they have item potency. Those are some of the examples that we tend to see how pagination works. So they can add custom pages in addition to their API reference. And in my mind, Mike, SDKs and API docs are like peanut butter and jelly. (laughs) They just go better when they're together. You can have them separately, but it's really nice when your SDKs. Yeah. When the SDKs are documented next to the API reference. It feels most natural as a developer that wants to go figure out how do I integrate with this company's API?
0: Sure. Yeah. So are you able to share any stories about customers that you've had who are using Fern?
1: Ooh, absolutely. Um, how about we talk about, I mentioned code here already, so I'll pick another one um, how about merge.dev to give a sure. little, are you familiar with that, Mike? Yeah. Past guests
0: of APIs you won't hate. We have, we recorded an episode with them maybe a year and a half ago at this point.
1: Oh, was that? uh, My hunch was probably either Shenzi or Gil, the CTO. Uh,
0: It was Gil. Yeah, we chatted with Gil on on APIs. We all hate. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. uh, In case someone hasn't listened though, what's the one one on one on Merge? What do they do?
1: Yeah, Merge is a fast-growing company that developed a unified API that simplifies integration development. So there are a lot of popular SaaS products out there that you might want to integrate with. And I'll just give an example. If I want to add a CRM integration. To my app, I might want to connect with Salesforce data, or HubSpot data, or PipeDrive data, and so for me to go build integrations with each of those three is pretty burdensome on my engineering team. And instead, I can go use Merge, and so Merge is the is a unified API platform, and is the difference between building one integration with just Merge or building ten with multiple different SaaS tools that have changing APIs.
0: Yeah, from from what I remember talking to Gil at Merge, they have a astonishing number of third parties that they unify into one place to call. At the the time when we chatted, it was like dozens upon dozens, and I'm sure it's grown since then. Uh, It's definitely a big product.
1: We can Uh, talk about the the problem that Merge came to us with. Uh, A Merge customer uses the Merge SDK and not a Salesforce or a HubSpot SDK.
0: Right, yeah. Instead of having to deal with those...
1: Exactly, you call them all from one place. Well, that means that Merge needs, I'm going to call it a kick-ass SDK. They need to have an extremely developer-friendly, well-documented, consistent across all languages experience, but they are API experts. They are not necessarily SDK experts. And so they teamed up with the Fern team and they move really quickly. Merge is a fast-moving company. From first initial call with us to learn about what we do to actually going live with their first SDK was a four-week time period. So really impressive at the speed that they've been able to move.
0: Yeah, my And God.
1: at this point, they've now released a Node, Python, Java, Go, SDK using Fern. And we're together collaborating on C Sharp and Ruby as the next languages that'll come out. Um, it's pretty nice when you have a customer who pushes you to increase selection. Yeah, definitely, right. So, so uh, with
0: that, then it sounds like you've probably expanded the languages that Fern has delivered on since March as well, right?
1: We have since we last talked, we've added Python and go, and we will continue adding languages. It feels like after the top eight to 10 programming languages, there's a pretty big drop off. That's Um, probably fair. Yeah. But I could see us using a good chunk of 2024 to get there to that top eight or 10.
0: Cool. Yeah. Okay. So, so merge is a, um a Fern user and they've, they've then delivered their SDKs in in four weeks is, is honestly a staggering, uh, turnaround for something like that. Like if you're listening to the show, you should hop over to merge.dev and like browse, go scroll to the bottom of the page. The footer of their page shows how many APIs they integrate with. And it is like conservatively a hundred different, different APIs they pull into merge, which must mean that uh, Fern is generating like mountains of API client library and documentation as well.
1: Yeah, we generate hundreds of endpoints for them every time that they generate code with us. Yeah. And one of the things that I want to call out is, it, I was at AWS before this, as I mentioned. At AWS, Andy Jassy used to talk to the team that the most successful implementations of AWS happened when it was top-down. It's just too hard for cloud infrastructure to go bottom-up. Yeah. You need a C-level goal, such as the CTO or CIO, setting a goal that gets everyone on the same North Star of like getting to the cloud. And in this case, we see the same trend happening with SDKs. It's really hard to go bottoms up. It's really easy when a leader like Gil from Merge says, hey, everyone, we are using Fern. We're going all in on offering every SDK language they, they provide and puts an engineer, actually in our case, there was an engineer and an engineering manager that we got to work with to go live with each of their SDKs. And I think that's just the right approach as a leader to identify like a single threaded leader who's going to be responsible for this SDK project going from first meeting to completion.
0: Yeah, that's the right the kind of investment and clearly shows a, you know, a pattern for success too and that it worked and, and that Merge is now a user. Uh, that's, that's really exciting. So you, you now have a client library product and a docs product. For people listening to the show, uh, we also mentioned before that you, um, to, to get started with Fern, you need an open API spec. What does it look like to get started? How long does that take?
1: Yeah. It, you install an NPM package, which is the Fern CLI command line interface. And then you run a command called Fern generate and that takes your open API spec and starts generating a list of generators that you specify. So it takes about five minutes to get started pretty often what our customers figure out is that their open api spec is a pretty poor quality. <laughs> I mean that yeah. th- yeah. this is like a trend that you've talked about on this show a lot yeah. and that you've written about of their having an open api spec is not the same as having a high quality open api spec for your organization.
0: For sure. Yeah, it's aspirational uh, definitely intentional, you know, a lot of a lot of companies want to do it and in practice it's tricky. It's a bit like starting with test driven development. Like it's, it sounds like a great idea, but it's hard to get people to commit to it.
1: And I'll give two examples of where I think open API specs that I've seen fall short, just to to make it tangible for folks. Please. The first is that they mention a bunch of different properties of an object, and they don't add a description of what that property is. Yeah. And I don't know your API as well as you know your API, and so I need some help. I need a human readable description of what age means. Like an age in days and months and years, it's really helpful. you know, An integer for age isn't very clear to me as a developer what I should put using there. And so one of the things that we see as a room for improvement is adding description fields across the entire API spec. The second area of improvement are adding examples. It's really helpful as a developer to see an example JSON response. Yeah. (laughs) Like very high value, but in order for Fern to know what a response looks like, we need companies in their open API specs to include an example for each endpoint. And the great, the great customers that we work with that really want the exceptional developer experience, make that part of their, like they're, they can't ship update an API without improving, without updating their open API spec and then improving things like description fields and examples.
0: And imagine that's a bit of a cathartic experience too, because it's effectively like forcing people to invest in their own reduction of tech debt. Uh, you know, we, we all have this notion that we want to do a great job of these things, but frankly, like uh, human readable descriptions that make sense and examples and things like that fall by the wayside pretty quickly when you're under the gun things done. But that'll turn around if the tooling takes those things and supplies the value of it for you, right? And, and I think that's what Fern at least is purporting to do here. And I think that's a really exciting offering.
1: Mike, do you see a world where LLMs could be helpful here, where it's like, help me add some descriptions and help me add some examples? Sure.
0: Yeah. 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 That, that's uh, definitely a place where I think people would be excited to, you know, to, <laughs> to, to add that sort of AI magic on top of things and maybe an, an interesting application of that too. I could see maybe even something where you're, you're chatting with your code base. Like, hey, how would I, you know, do whatever it is, like take an ACH payment from someone in Japan? Right? Like how do, how do I do that? What does that look like? And and if uh, your documentation is in order and your uh, open API spec is well written, I think that's something that, that is not too far off in the future
1: for us. You just touched on something that I think is just probably a billion dollar idea. So let's explore it for a minute together.
0: Yeah. Fire away.
1: Today, API documentation is like an encyclopedia. Yeah. It's got a bunch of information and, and a bunch of pages and it's your responsibility to go either look at the table of contents or look at the glossary, kind of like the search bar. And you can go find what you're looking for, get to the right section, read it and digest it. Yeah. I speculate that instead of an encyclopedia experience where you have to like go find the right page, you're going to be able to ask a question to the encyclopedia. I mean, this is what Siri and Alexa wanted to be back then, right? I can just ask a question and it goes and finds the information and presents it to me. And I could see a future where you get to someone's API docs and there's a text input. And that text input allows you to ask a question like, I'm using Django to call the Stripe API as an example. Well, let's pick the merge.dev API. I'm using Django to call your API. I want to migrate. I want to use the HubSpot and Salesforce integration to go create new leads. And it starts writing code for you, basically a sample app of how you would, and you get to share that, right, it's going to use the Python SDK because it's it knows you're in a Python framework. yeah. And it's going to live generate you code that you can start using that you would never find in their docs because it's actually combining some of the word description guides with the API reference, with the SDKs that now, like an LLM powered docs understands all of those things. To me, the day that we can go and And like you said, have a conversation about what are you trying to accomplish here at Docs? Congrats, you landed. What are you trying to do (laughs) here? Uh, That is not an experience that I've ever seen. Have you?
0: No. And I think that those tend to be, for me, at least the most exciting applications of this LLM technology is uh, where where it's a second brain that actually is a second brain, right? Like in the past few years, people have talked a lot about note-taking and self-organization and things like Notion. And. Um, Rome Research and Obsidian and and being really good about documenting what you're seeing. But when the LLMs start putting that together for you and take the need to document yourself out of the picture and can become an educator for you, I think that's really interesting and really empowering. Uh, And and I can see lots of different people getting into development as a result of that, too. And I'm really excited by that.
1: I'll I'll make a speculation here because it's fun to guess about the future, isn't it?
0: No, always. Yeah.
1: I think that the number one consumer of API documentation in the future, we'll call it three years from now, is going to be LLMs.
0: Hmm, That's really interesting. Wow. Well, I guess we're going to have to put it on the calendar to have you back on the podcast in three years, but I'd I'd love to have you back sooner if that's something you're interested in. Uh, Danny, let's do this. Tell me about if people are interested in jumping in and getting started with Fern, where's the best place to go?
1: The best place to go is our website, which is buildwithfern.com.
0: We will, of course, have that in the show notes, along with all the other things we've mentioned here today. One of the I, I like to ask guests on the show is, is Fern growing? Are you hiring at the moment?
1: Fern is growing. We are looking for a founding backend engineer. This person would work with our team in New York City. It's an onsite site role, and they would be responsible for helping us expand selection of our SDK generators. So we're looking for someone who's excited to be a polyglot that might jump within a week between Java, Python, and Ruby and is excited about languages and has a high attention to detail.
0: Yeah, very cool. That that uh, sounds like a great opportunity. And and, and lastly, will, Mike, I'll, I'll yeah. share that
1: the salary range that we're paying for that role we publish, which is one hundred thirty dollars to $160,000 a year, in addition to a half percent to 1% equity in a growing startup.
0: Brilliant. How's that for open? Um, <laughs> yeah, I deeply appreciate that. I think, especially in a world where lots of people are squirming to find the right place for them, getting to that discussion around like, what does compensation look like? Where do you want me to be? And what am I going to be doing? Uh, it's really hard to get to. And, and uh, I think a lot of companies can and should aspire to what you just did there. We'll drop a, a link in the show notes as well to uh, the job opening here too. And Danny, where, where's the best place to get at you? If people want to shout at you about SDKs or documentation, where, where can you be found online?
1: The best place to talk to me is actually going to the buildwithfern.com website love and it. scheduling a call. Yeah. Would love to, ch- if folks listen to this and they're like, Hey, I'm ready. I'm ready to make my API developer experience more like Stripes. That's if that's the intention, that's the place, the best place to find me is just book a call. Let's hop on and talk about it.
0: Yeah, that is an opportunity not to be passed up, friends. I think Danny, apart from being a, a very exciting person to chat with, I think you're also super knowledgeable and it's been. Great to have you hang out. I am looking forward to six months from now seeing how you've shaped the the planet of API developer experience in that marketplace, too. Um, thanks for joining so much. I appreciate having you and uh, looking forward to talking again.
1: Let's build APIs that people will love. away.
0: I'm into it. <laughs> All right, Denny. Take care.
1: Cheers.